Good morning again. And a huge thank you for joining us this weekend. My name is Austin Gagne, and I am one of the pastors here at Circle. So if you haven't had the opportunity or perhaps the misfortune of us meeting yet, I just want to introduce myself. So you might notice that we have a little bit of a different setup here this morning. This isn't our typical setup for a Sunday. And so what we're going to do instead of just having one speaker talk for the next 30, 35 minutes, we actually want to change it up from a, from a monologue to a dialogue. And so I have invited Ron Goschluck up to have a conversation with me around a passage of scripture that has been an incredibly important passage to him. It has been a passage that he has studied, reflected on, and even spoken on on many occasions, taking this message throughout Western Canada, to the Philippines, and to the Arabian Gulf. And so this has been a passage of scripture that has been deeply influential to him. How's that for a teaser introduction? Now, one of the reasons that we've decided to do our message like this, less of a monologue and more of a conversation, is that because we believe that the Bible is best read in community and together. Um, so if you're in a circle group, you've maybe experienced that, studying scripture with others. Or perhaps, you know, you're not in a circle group, but you've been to a Bible study before, and there's just something rich about reading scripture with others. The Bible Project says it is a practice, reading scripture together, that God's people have always done to remind themselves of who they are and what they are called to do. And this remains true today. As we come together to read and discuss a passage, our pre-existing stories about God, ourself, and the world are challenged. We are forced to, to see the text in a new way and grapple with it, pushing us deeper into the biblical narrative, which in turn shapes us as God's people. So just as the early church did, we want to come around the word of God together. And so that's why we're having this conversation today. That's why we're modeling this spirit of community even from our stage. Plus, the moment that I mentioned that in this series that we were going to explore Acts 10, Ron's face lit up. He was as excited as a kid in a candy store. And so I want to do some legwork here to just unlock the joy that he has for this scripture. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to unpack an important scripture in the Bible. So just before we do that, I just want to help orientate ourselves and get us up to speed as to where we are in our series, and more specifically, where we are in the book of Acts. We started this walkthrough through Acts right after Easter, because we believe that the story of Jesus and his movement does not end on Easter, but rather continues through the work of the early church and the Holy Spirit. And so to situate ourselves back in the story, our friends at the Bible Project have created a short video to help us find out where we've been up until this point and where we're going to go today, which again is Acts 10. 
So if you have your Uversion app and you follow CircleYXC as your church on Uversion, you'll see the scripture in your app there. But we're going to take a look at that video, and I just want to give you a little tip as you watch this video. When you hear the name Cornelius, lean in, because that's where we're going today. So if you want to cue up that Bible Project video for us. During the first century, when the Romans ruled the known world, a grassroots countercultural movement was born in the eastern end of the empire. Yeah, it started among the Jewish people. Who for centuries now have been scattered around the known world. But no matter where they lived or what language they spoke, they kept their identity as the family of Abraham, devoted to the one true God. And every year, they would travel to Jerusalem for sacred festivals. And during one of these, the Feast of Pentecost. The visitors encountered a group of Jews who could somehow speak in everyone's native dialect. Yeah, they were telling stories about a man named Jesus who had been executed by the Romans. They claimed he had risen from the dead and was now exalted as the true king of Israel and the whole world. And this Jesus was now calling people to adopt his upside down set of values and live under his rule called the kingdom of God. And thousands of Jews decided to stay in Jerusalem and join the movement. It grew in size and in influence and gained favor with people. But not with the Jerusalem temple leaders. They viewed this whole thing as a dangerous religious sect, and they even executed one of its leaders named Stephen. It's no longer safe in Jerusalem, and so most of the followers flee for the outlying land called Judea. And you might think that's the end of the story, but actually this tragedy became the way the movement spread outside Jerusalem. That's where the second part of the book of Acts begins. The scattered followers end up in surprising places, like Samaria, where their ancient enemies live. Yeah, and Luke shows us how all of these unexpected people start following Jesus, like a sorcerer from Samaria who has to learn that the way of Jesus isn't about gaining power, but giving it up to serve others. There's also a story about an Ethiopian delegate who, after discussing the scroll of the prophet Isaiah with Philip, decides to join the movement. Yeah, Jesus is expanding his movement out into Judea and Samaria, just like he said he would. Which is great. But back in Jerusalem, we meet Saul of Tarsus. He's part of the religious elite who oppose the new movement, and he's finding and arresting Jesus' followers anywhere he can. This is a cruel guy. But think about it from his perspective. In the past, Israel had turned away to other gods and to false prophets, leading to disaster. He believed he was protecting Israel and God's honor by getting rid of these people. And then Saul hears that the movement spread north to Damascus. So he sets out there to find and arrest more followers. And on the way, Saul has this sudden encounter with the risen Jesus himself. Jesus asks Saul why he's fighting against him. And then Jesus commissioned Saul to now represent him to Israel and to the nations. And Saul is stunned and speechless. And so he ends up in Damascus, but now he's announcing the good news about the Jesus he had just been attacking. And no one saw this coming. Totally. And the same goes for what happened next. Over in the port city of Caesarea, there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he represents everything the Jewish people would hate about the Roman occupation. An angel appears to him, and he tells him to call for a man named Peter. So Peter comes, and he finds Cornelius and his friends and his family all gathered together in his home. Yeah, and this is scandalous. Jewish people don't enter a non-Jewish home to avoid ritual impurity. So what's Peter going to do? Well, right before this, Peter had a vision. God brought to him a collection of animals that his people were forbidden to eat. And then God said to Peter, eat these. 
And this is shocking to Peter. He says, I've never eaten anything impure. And God responds, don't call impure what I have made pure. And then that's it. The vision was over. So Peter's going to start a new diet? No, he's an Israelite, and he's honored these customary food laws his entire life. The vision was preparing him for this moment of him standing among impure non-Israelites. And he realizes that God is declaring these people are a part of the family of Abraham. And so Peter decides to stay and tell them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit shows up just as he did at Pentecost. But now it's for a Roman centurion and his non-Jewish family. The movement is broken out. And so back in Jerusalem, Peter is now telling the other apostles about what happened, and they start getting reports about even more non-Jewish people following Jesus up in the big trade city north called Antioch. So they send a man there named Barnabas to check things out. Barnabas finds the Jesus movement alive and well in Antioch, and he finds it's made up of people from all over the world. And so Barnabas recruits Saul to come and work with him in Antioch for a year. They're teaching, living among the people there, watching the movement grow. The church in Antioch was the first international Jesus community, and it is where Jesus' followers were first called Christians, the Christ ones. And so the way of Jesus was transformed from a group of Messianic Jews in Jerusalem into the multi-ethnic Jesus movement spreading through the world. Their faith was the same. It was centered on the good news about the crucified Jesus who is the king of all nations. But that message and their new way of life was confusing, even threatening to the average Roman citizen living around them. And the resulting conflict is what we'll explore next as this movement goes global, or as Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. Okay, so now you're up to speed. There is a lot to unpack in just those few minutes, but where we're really going to put our focus is in Acts 10 and that interaction that happens between Cornelius and Peter. And so I know that as I've been reading this passage and trying to get a sense of it, you have been really helpful to me as, it's, as you've been helping me kind of unpack and understand it. And so I feel like as I've been going through this, can you help me and us understand why this interaction and these events between Cornelius and Peter help our understanding of how this movement of Jesus goes from being a local thing, just in Jerusalem, to the global movement that we now know it to be? Yes, uh, thank you, Austin, and uh, thank you for the invitation to be part of this service and this interview uh, format this morning. Acts 10 certainly uh, has captured my heart uh, in a profound way over the years of, of life and ministry. But here in Acts 10, the, the two main figures are Cornelius and Peter. Acts 10 opens where uh, we find God being at work in the life of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, a Roman centurion of the Italian court. Uh, but at noon one day, he received a vision. And the vision from, from the angel of God appeared to him, instructing him to send these two servants and a soldier to, uh, <clears throat> to Joppa to invite, well, probably even more than invite, sort of uh, instruct him to bring back Peter, the one who had been effective in spreading the gospel. Uh, we think of Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 
where back in Jerusalem, Peter one day spoke a gospel message and more than 3,000 people came to Christ. So there was, so Cornelius had this desire to know more about the good news and was sending off these emissaries to secure, uh, to secure Peter from, from Joppa. Uh, uh, Austin, where did you read just the, the context of Acts 10, one beginning? Yeah, absolutely. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Sam Simon the Tanner who's, sorry, <laughs> I'm using you version. I just clicked off of it. Let me just back up out of here. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I can pick it up. For sure. Oh, yeah, he's staying with a man named Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Cornelius, uh, I think it needs to be noted that he was not a Jew, but a Gentile. He, but yet he had a respect for Jewish life and was God-fearing. It was often the practice in, in Judaism for Gentiles to, during particular festivals, that they would come close to the temple. They were not allowed in the courtyard, but they would stand at a distance. And when the Jewish families would submit their sacrifice to the, to the priests, uh, upon the altar and so forth, as the high priest deemed it to be acceptable, the high priest would blow his trumpet, and the sound would go out. And so the Jewish person in the family would know that that was an acceptable sacrifice. The Gentiles who were on well at a distance would hear that trumpet call, and they knew that God Yahweh, that the God of Israel was pleased with that, with that sacrifice. So in a sense, the Gentiles would live vicariously uh, on the faith of the Jews through these various ceremonies. It's kind of like, say, for example, here in, we live in the College Park area of Saskatoon, and when the U of S Huskies are playing over at Griffith Stadium, whenever the Huskies would make a touchdown or win the game, there would be there would be fireworks that would go off. And here we are, a couple kilometers away from Griffith Stadium, but we could hear that obviously there was victory for, for the Huskies uh, at Griffith Stadium. So in a sense, the Gentiles would hear from a distance God's pleasure of, of the sacrifice uh, by, on the part of the Jews, and Cornelius as a Gentile would share, share in that. God was at work in the heart of Cornelius, a Gentile placing a desire to know more about Jesus. And uh, so he sent off these emissaries, these two servants, and a soldier to get uh, Peter from, from Joppa. 
So while these two servants and soldiers were on their way to Joppa, Peter in, uh, in Joppa, he was going to a rooftop to a prayer meeting. And the scripture also says he was, he was hungry. So I'm sure he was ordering in from Joppa Pizza Hut a pizza because he, he had prayed and he was hungry. Um, but I'm sure he didn't order a ham and bacon pizza because that wasn't kosher. It was probably a Mediterranean. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love about that joke is like Joppa Pizza, their slogans probably will Joppa your pizza off at your door 30 minutes or less. <laughs> Would you like me to read yes, about Peter's yes, yes, vision? Yes, please. Awesome. So again, just for our clarity, there are two visions happening in this story. There's the vision where God is speaking to Cornelius, but he then goes on to speak to Peter. So if you're following along in our message notes, that's Acts 10, verses 9 to 21. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, these emissaries from Cornelius, and approaching the city, Peter went up to the, onto the rooftop to pray. He became hungry, which maybe some of you can relate with. Mm -hmm. And he wanted something to eat. And while the meeting was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Two visions. Cornelius received this vision. It's really quite simple and straightforward. Peter's vision, wow, it's, it's strange, it's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly in regards to the four-cornered sheet with, filled with animals, birds, reptiles coming down from heaven. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we were to get either one of these visions, if we were to get the vision of Cornelius that says, get up and go and get this person, we would just immediately understand that. We can, we can get into our heads of what's being asked of us there. But it's Peter's vision that we sometimes get a little bit confused about. Because here's this scene, like you said, of a sheet coming down from heaven by its four corners and all sorts of different animals. And then there's this exchange that happens between Peter and God where there's this eat, I can't, eat, I can't, I eat, I can't. And it, I think it's, that's the part of this scripture that we sometimes need to do a little bit more legwork to understand. And so can you unpack for us what this vision is about? And can you also unpack for us why this rooftop experience is something that we need to take notice of? I think a question that we often ask here at Circle is, so what? What am I supposed to do with this scripture? Or like Ron Gertzen last week said, what is it that God is trying to say to me 
through this particular passage. So what does the rooftop mean for us? I think going back to Peter, uh, three times the voice from heaven says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. So when Peter heard the instruction, get up, I think he, no problem. I, so he, he says, I'm going to get up, kill, no problem. I can do that. But then eat, he says, whoa, hold it, hold it. I can't do that. Peter reacted, and, and he says, Surely, Lord, never, never have I eaten anything impure or unclean. So it was a direct violation of himself as a 100% Jew and his dietary law and understanding that he had embraced all of his life. This doesn't make sense. This is absolutely crazy. This is ridiculous. I, I can get up, I can kill, but I cannot eat. So it's important to realize that Peter, being 100% Jewish, was being asked or prompted or told to violate his Jewish dietary laws. And I think that's like an important thing to highlight because the dietary laws for the Jewish people was incredibly significant. It was like one of the main things that God used to separate the Jewish people from the rest of the world. And so this is not a small request. This is a, a a deep-rooted identity piece that God's addressing here. Exactly. This was huge. So he's looking within himself as, as a 100% good Jew. But then all, and verse 17 and 19, as was read, that Peter, while he was wondering about the meaning of the vision, and then verse 19, while Peter was, was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, go downstairs and meet the guys. There are some guys who have come and are looking for you. So immediately Peter went down, and the, Pete, and the Spirit said to Peter, meet these guys. And Peter went to them, and he says, I'm the guy. I'm, you've come here from, uh, from Cornelius' house. I'm the one that you're looking for. So he already knew that what his instruction and his next step was to, to do. So Peter was beginning, and the fellows are saying, Cornelius wants you to come with us back, down, back up to Caesarea because you have something to say to them. And Peter was beginning to, I think, connect the dots in his mind. I've just been asked to violate my dietary laws. Now I'm being asked to go with these Gentile guys back to the house of a Gentile family, a Roman centurion. This is against our law. And so he says, it, this, this, is, this is crazy, it's ridiculous. So Peter, from his sociological framework, he says, what will my Jewish buddies think of me when they see me going to Caesarea with these Gentile guys? Uh, or what will Yahweh, Yeshua, what, will, what would he do if he was here? And so this was big for him, and so he was wrestling it through. And Peter's theology was being challenged to the core because up until that point, Peter really thought that the gospel was just for the Jews. The grace of God was for the Jews. It was not for the Gentiles. They were the outsiders, and they would always be the outsiders. But now God had been stirring his heart, saying maybe this gospel is for the Gentiles and for all of the nations of the world. So the next day, the guys, they stayed overnight at, uh, at Joppa, and the next day they set out on a, on a short-term missions trip to Caesarea. 
So Peter sent, uh, set out for Cornelius' house and was simply by being obedient to the prompting of the Spirit. Verse 23 says, The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. Peter entered the house of Cornelius. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Yeah, I think just even to pause there, like this scene of Cornelius at the feet of Peter's is not a small thing either. Like Cornelius is this Roman centurion who would have held a high office. And here he is at Peter's feet. There's so much political and cultural tension in this story. But yeah, continue. Yeah. But Peter said, made him get up and said, stand up. I am just a man myself uh, as well. So while talking with him, Peter went in and found a large gathering of people. And here comes a true confession, verse 28 and 29, I think is absolutely powerful. Peter said to them, Peter said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law to, for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. You're aware of that. You know that. I know that. This is contrary. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. You're aware of it. But the last part of verse 28 says, but God has shown me, but God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, uh, I came without raising any objection. So here I am. Then Peter goes on to a profound re re realization, verse 34. And Peter began to speak to Cornelius and his household about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And Peter began to speak and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I do not realize, now I realize how God does not show favoritism but accepts, verse 35, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But what's so amazing, two days earlier, two days earlier, Peter was there in Joppa, you know, waiting for his pizza to arrive or whatever, hungry and he was praying. Two days earlier, Peter was so prejudiced, he was a racist, he was a bigot, and he was locked within his cultural framework as, as a Jew, a follower of Yeshua, but he was so culturally bound by that, by that framework. But God took Peter to the rooftop to begin to get to his heart. That's beautiful. So Peter goes on to tell the good news of Jesus, really for the first time, in a Jewish context. So now it went from a Jewish into a Gentile context. This morning, if you're Jewish by heritage, I say shalom to you. But I think most of us here this morning are Gentile by, by heritage. And this morning, I think we need to be so grateful to God by his spirit who arranged <laughs> this vision for Cornelius and this bizarre vision or trance for Peter, for Peter to bring the gospel from a primarily Jewish context and bridge it into our context, into our life as, gen as Gentiles. And not only just Gentiles, but all of the nations of the world this is God's heart.
Yeah, I think that this is where we come to that understanding of like, how does this movement of Jesus that began with Jewish people, how does it balloon to this global mm -hmm. movement? It's this rooftop moment. So getting to the rooftop is not, you know, necessarily a, a literal practice or activity, unless you like climbing ladders, you know, we'll go home and get your ladder and go to the rooftop and pray and get hungry or something like that. That's not what I think it's really saying. Getting to the rooftop is this symbolic, this invitation from the heart of God, God's Spirit, for us to view our life and view those around us, particularly those who are of not the same heritage as us, and to recognize that God's heart beats loud and clear for all people, for all nations, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus is the answer. That's fantastic. Can you kind of give us a bit of perspective of what was the rooftop experience for you? You and Lynn spent many years in international work in the Philippines. Can you kind of unpack what was your rooftop experience? When was it that God was really doing that work in your heart for a gospel for all people in all places? Uh, let me just back up quickly to, I, I, I guess, uh, I'm grateful for the Christian heritage that I shared in it with my family and growing up in a Christian home and family. Growing up in a local church, the, the Alliance Church in Chilliwack and the Fraser Valley, where that had a huge emphasis on my life in formative years to serving, serving God as, well, missionaries, which we now are known as international workers. And in fact, I came to college in uh, Regina in the early 70s. And in the early 70s, there was also this uh, revival movement that was spreading across the prairies. Actually, it began right here in Saskatoon. The Baptist Church just across from Aden Bowman on Taylor Street. Uh, and it outgrew that and it went over to University Drive Alliance Church on University Drive. And, uh, that call to renewal and revival as a young adult impacted my life, and God used that uh, to change my, the desires of my heart and setting me off in a desire to serve Him uh, cross-culturally. Uh, Lynn and I met in, in seminary, uh, and after graduation, we were, we were married. That will be 43 years ago. It will be 43 years this August, and we were married right over here in the chapel. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a big deal. Big, good deal. And, uh, but then we were here in Saskatoon uh, getting ready to, to, to go to the Philippines. And last week, Ron Gertzen said he sat over here somewhere 35 years ago, and that is where he gave his life to Christ. 43 years ago, Lynn and I, we sat somewhere over, over here, and we were saying yes to the Spirit's prompting for us to serve Him as cross-cultural missionaries in the Philippines. Uh, and so then in uh, July of 1982, Lynn and I stood right here, right here, and the leadership of Circle Drive, the elders and others gathered around and prayed and laid hands on us and commissioned us as Circle Drive Alliance missionaries as being part of the Canadian uh, Christian Mission Alliance to go to the Philippines. And what was so affirming and reaffirming was the promise and the commitment of the family here at Circle Drive 
to, uh, to pray and support us as we headed off to the Philippines to, to empower and disciple Filipinos for the, for the sake of Christ. Lynn and I feel incredibly rich. I'm not talking financially. <laughs> I'm talking about the opportunity to, to serve Christ uh, cross-culturally, globally, in the Philippines for 20 years. Circle Drive has been such a significant dynamic in our life and our home and, and our family because this is our home church. This is our family. And we are truly, truly grateful. During our years of cross-cultural ministry, I've weaved, or particularly for myself, I've had to get to the rooftop on a number of, of occasions. It's not a one-time deal. A number of years ago, I had major surgery uh, where I had a tumor on my ear. And while the surgeons were removing the tumor off my ear, it was as though God was doing surgery on my heart, and he was. He was speaking to me very clearly by his spirit about dealing with issues of racism, stereotype, particularly against people who were not uh, like, like me. So I had to begin to deal with adopting a scriptural, a, a, a Christ-like attitude towards other people and other heritages. So that was a rooftop experience for, for, uh, for me in, in, in my life. Again, getting to the rooftop, Austin, is not a literal experience of taking a ladder unless you want to. Go ahead. Uh, Please, nobody climb yeah, on the roof it, of the church. We have some leaks already. Yeah. We don't need more. But rather, I think getting to the rooftop becomes a time and a place where each of us, where each of us come before the Lord God and say, what do you want me to do? Like Ron Gertzen says, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And we do it not out of compulsion or because we have to, but we want to. So it's the Spirit's prompting. So as a follower of Jesus, I truly believe that all of us, somewhere in our spiritual journey, need to get to the rooftop for the first time or time and time again. And I think that's the essence of what these between Cornelius and particularly Peter when he went to the rooftop that changed the history of the spread of the gospel and Christianity in our, in our world and still is vibrant and necessary and a mandate for all of us today as followers of Christ. You know what? You may never leave Saskatoon. You may never leave Saskatoon. You could spend the rest of your life here, but if you're prompted by God's Spirit in a rooftop scenario or within your heart, maybe it's kicking back and just relaxing this afternoon, or maybe it's out on the tractor getting ready for planting and harvesting, uh, planting the, the next crop. Maybe it's in the marketplace, in the workforce, or wherever, wherever you find yourself just opening your heart to the Spirit of God saying, what do you have for me? Maybe it would be to join a small group, or maybe lead a small group, or maybe join the choir. No, 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 we, sorry, no, we don't have a choir. Uh, uh, the, uh, the worship team. Or maybe it's going on a short-term missions trip, going into a, a different culture as a volunteer and doing something that 
And crossing a cultural linguistic barrier, I believe, opens our eyes and our hearts to what God is doing in another part of, of, of the world. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've come to really love about this passage. And again, we probably should kind of conclude here. Ron and I have been talking about this passage over the last number of weeks. And the last time we talked about it, we talked for pretty close to an hour. And we don't want to cause that hungry feeling in all of you by going another 30 minutes. And so there's so much richness that we can unpack from this scripture. But the one thing that I want to point out here is that, again, there's two visions in this passage. There's the vision that's given to Peter, which is that working in his heart, addressing prejudice and addressing things that would keep him from interacting with other people. And I think that that's a work that we all need to engage in on some level. And I think that's one of those things that we can bring to God in prayer and say, could you do a work in my heart in this area so that I can love um, people, all people, well? And I think the other thing that I love about this passage is that there's also a vision to Cornelius. And I feel like when Peter found that out, that would have blown his mind. Because not only is God trying to reach Jewish people, but he's trying to reach all people. And so the thing that I'm encouraged when I read this story is that God is at work all over the place. He is at work in the lives of people in your neighborhood, among your neighbors at your workplace. And amazingly, God is at work all over the world. And so we've actually invited Paul Enns, who is the missions mobilizer for the Canadian Midwest District for the Alliance Churches. And we had asked him to set up a table in the back of the auditorium. And, and I'm going to invite him to come up and pray to conclude our service here. Um, but I just want to encourage you, God is at work all over the world. And so if you're sitting here and even the little snippet of Ron's story kind of captured your attention, you're like, I'd be interested in learning more about missions, short-term missions, or what is happening in the global church. Paul would love to have those conversations with you. So he'll just be hanging out in the lobby. Ron will be hanging out in the lobby as well. And they would just love to have those conversations with you. Again, God wants to do a work in us that allows us to go and to reach people with the good news of Jesus. And again, the encouragement is, is that God is already at work in those places long before we show up, and which is incredibly good news. And so I'm just going to invite Paul to come up and to pray for us, to also pray for our Seamless Link partners. Um, yeah, thank you for doing this for us, Paul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday and today and forever, that your desire and longing is to see someone from every nation or people group on the planet worshiping you. And so we thank you that you have put us in this place. And for all the people here who you have called to this place, and we've heard this morning of the holy history here of sending out international workers and making an impact locally and globally. So we pray that you would continue to do that. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would, because you're not changing, that you would give us fresh visions and fresh revelations by your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts to the people around us and the peoples on this planet who have little or no access to you. We pray, Jesus, that you would do the work in our hearts so that we have kindness and vision and want to reach out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. 
I pray, Father, that you would bless this church and give them the impetus and the drive and the desire to pray for peoples around the globe, and especially for their partners, for Re Rebecca and Ian. We pray, Father, that there would be a personal connect. We pray that there would be information flowing so that they can pray in an informed way. We pray, Father, for sacrificial giving, where we give to those people so that they can be reached for the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for communication to flow so that there would be relationships built. We pray, Father, that even that they would be able to visit one another. And so we, we're all with the goal, Father, that those that they are reaching would come to know Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that we're part of a family of churches where this is happening literally around the globe with hundreds of people. And we ask you, Jesus, to give us your heart because we know that you will have someone from every tongue and every tribe and every people and every language around your throne worshiping you and serving you and celebrating with you forever and ever. And we thank you that you have invited us into this and we ask that you would make us obedient to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Again, Paul ends our... Canadian Midwest District Missions Mobilizer is hanging out in the lobby. And so if you'd like to know more about what is happening across the globe for the Alliance Churches, definitely connect with Paul. I just want to say thank you for being part of our, con our conversation this morning. We're going to kick off or we're going to end with one more song. And so I'm just going to invite the band who's already kind of making their way up here. But I just want to say that the story of scripture has so much to unpack. Again, our conversation could go another 30 minutes. But if you are new here and you don't have a Bible, can I encourage you to visit us at the information desk at the end of the service? Because again, there is so much that we can unpack in the story of scripture. And so if you don't have a Bible, we would definitely want to make sure that you have one. If you heard something today and you want to pray with somebody or um, you want to kind of unpack a little bit of what it means to follow Jesus if you aren't, can I encourage you to visit our chapel? Our prayer team would love to connect with you and would love to pray with you. And saying that, I'm going to hand over to the band and Ron and I are going to discreetly walk off the stage. <laughs>